Amen. Great truth. Christ has died, paying the penalty for our sins. Christ has risen, conquering death in the grave. And Christ is coming again. And that's the focus of our message this morning. Open your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. If you have a copy of the Scriptures with you, I would encourage you to do so. Austin read our passage that we're going to be studying. We're picking back up in 1 Thessalonians because we started and we were studying about what it means to make disciples and about how the Apostle Paul was discipling the individuals in the congregation there in Thessalonica. And then we followed that thought through the command to make disciples, what it means to be a disciple-making person, what it means to be a disciple-making church. And we know something about this at our congregation because together... We exist to glorify God by making mature disciples of all nations starting here in the West End. Now, why don't we try that all together just once, okay? Together, we exist to glorify God by making mature disciples of all nations starting right here in the West End. And so it's a good thing for, that we know our purpose, our mission, the call to make disciples. And these folks, the Apostle, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> the Apostle Paul had been there. He had proclaimed the gospel. He had taught the word of God. Lives had been changed and transformed. We saw that in the first part of the book when we looked at, at uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, the warmth of affection that Paul feels for these people. The way that God had rescued them from worshiping idols to worshiping son, how God had delivered them and the way that God was moving and working in them. But they did have a concern. You see, Jesus had been there. Christ had been there. Christ had died. Christ had risen. And Christ was coming again. And they, like we should, but they certainly expected the return of Christ to be then, to be soon, to be in their lifetime. And so... Christ had lived, Christ had died, Christ had risen, Christ had ascended, and Christ is coming back. But what about my, my folks who've passed away? What about our dear brother or sister in church who've passed away? Are they going to miss it? Are they going to miss the kingdom? What happens to them? And so Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, gives us explanation. He gives us instruction. He gives us clarity. And we need to get this, I will tell you, because of that, that first verse. And we're going to stay pretty close to the text this morning. We're going to follow it along. If you look at chapter 4, verse 13, Paul says, We don't want you to be uninformed, or we don't want you to be ignorant. We don't want you to not know this. Brothers, about those who are asleep, which is a euphemism, certainly for those who have died, and specifically for those who have died in Christ. But we don't want you to be uninformed because we don't want you to grieve or to sorrow as others who have no hope, who are hopeless. See, if we don't get this truth, then we're uninformed. We, we are without knowledge. We are ignorant. If we don't get this truth, when someone dies or when we have difficulties and struggles, we will grieve and we will sorrow. And so he wants to combat that sorrow with comfort and encouragement in this teaching. But also, apart from this, we are hopeless, those who have no hope. We have hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 14, for since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep, those who have passed away. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede, will not go before those 
who have fallen asleep. This morning, we're going to couch this whole teaching. It's a big passage for me, more than I normally try to cover in any individual sermon. But under three headings, first of all, there's a sweet promise. There's a sweet promise. And it's the promise of expectation. Jesus is coming Again, have you ever been in a situation where somebody was coming home? It used to be, as children, I would wait on my parents to come home, and it was always exciting when they had been traveling or when they had been away or when they'd been on a trip for them to come home. As a parent, it's always great when the kids come home, when they come home for Christmas or when they come home from holidays. And now, as a grandparent, it just gets better. I'm going to tell you, love it when the grandkids come. Uh, we love it when they go, but we love it when they come. And uh, it, it's just, uh, it, you, you have that expectation. When are they coming? And, and we need to live with that constant expectation. The Lord Jesus is coming. There's a sweet promise. But when you get to chapter 5 or when you get to the next series of verses, you have, a, you have a pretty stark contrast. There's a different coming. There's a day of the Lord coming. And that day is a day of, of destruction. We'll talk about that in a moment. But we, from the sweet promise, he goes to a dire warning, a dire warning, something that we need to be aware of. It's reality, it's truth, it's coming. And out of love and compassion, and certainly as a means of motivating us, there's a warning that's coming. And then there's very clear instructions, very clear instructions. So a sweet promise, a dire warning, and then clear instructions. And the, the, the sweet promise is the promise of what we typically call the rapture, that of meeting Jesus face to face. And what a day it will be. I remember being in the pews of Moats Creek Baptist Church and singing as loud as possible along with everybody in the congregation. What a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see. I shall look upon his face, the one who saved me by his grace. And he'll take me by the hand and lead me to the promised land. What a day glorious day that will be we need to live with that constant sense of expectation Paul is explaining like I said the rapture and let's just kind of look at how it's described as we go down through the text we'll pick up at verse 16 where we just left off for the Lord himself will descend from heaven the Lord Jesus is going to Stand up from being seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven. He's going to step out from his throne in heaven, and he's heading our way. And now there are some things that are going to characterize his return. There will be a shout, a cry of command, the voice of an archangel. And with the sound of the trumpet of, trumpet of God, you see that his coming is going to be heralded. It's going to be announced. Now, we'll tell you it will be announced as it happens because it could come any time. No one knows the hour or the day when this is going to take place. We are to live constantly with this sense of expectation. It could be any time, but when it comes, there will be a shout. There will be the voice of the archangel. There will be the sound of the trumpet. Now, I don't know what that shout is going to entail, but I wouldn't be surprised if it was very much like Jesus calling Lazarus from the tomb. Come forth. Come up. Come home. The sound of the trumpet, the trumpet of God. I used to think when I was a teenager and had gotten one of my first cars, one of the joys of being dad's children was that he liked cars, so we got a lot of different cars. And one of our cars had a modified horn on it, and it sounded like a train horn. You guys know what I'm talking about? Just, it would, it would blow your hair back, back when I had hair. And I used to think it was funny. 
when someone would be walking by in front of the car to just blow the horn and watch them jump and scream and throw away whatever they had in their hands. I used to think it funny. I discovered quickly no one else thought it was funny. I will tell you that while you may want to do that with friends who are patient and who love you, you do not want to do that with parents. Not, not a good thing to do. But there's going to be a horn. There will be a trumpet that will sound. It'll be loud. It'll be sudden. And it will be unexpected. And the next phrase he begins to deal with and address the situation. What about those believers in Christ? Those people who have recognized that Jesus Christ is the Savior. They've recognized that their sins have separated between them and their God. They recognize that Christ's death on the cross was the means by which His righteousness is applied to us. And our sin was applied to Him. And now they have a relationship with God. And yet the bodies have become frail. The bodies have become weak. There may have been an accident. There may have been sickness. And they have died and their bodies are in the tomb. The next phrase He explains what's going to happen. There's going to be a bodily catching up, snatching up, resurrection. And the dead in Christ will rise first. While I was reminiscing over these sermons and some of this stuff, we were raised Moats Creek Baptist Church. uh, And uh, we had the parsonage and then we had the church. And between the parsonage and the church was the cemetery. You guys ever walk across the cemetery in the early morning? It's beautiful. It's quiet. It's peaceful. Sun comes up. People are putting flowers on the graves. I remember the grass being freshly cut, and we would walk to church on Sunday morning through the cemetery, and that was a nice, wonderful, peaceful. It was great. It was, it was good just to be outside and be there. But I also remember walking home after church on Sunday nights. The sun had set. The shadows had gotten long. It was harder to find your way. And in the darkness, it became a scary, scary place. The thought of all those dead bodies, some of the tombstones cracked or in rough shape, some of the graves had sunken in, and the evenings where the shadows would lengthen, it could be a frightening place. Well, we told our folks, of course, and Dad assured us, he said, listen, the cemetery is a wonderful place to be. It's going to be an exciting place to be one time. Number one, you need to recognize that there's nobody here. There are bodies that will be resurrected, but those who died in Christ are in the presence of the Lord right now, awaiting the return and awaiting the new body that we'll get when he comes back. And one day, when the Lord comes back, these bodies are going to be raised out of the grave. They would be resurrected, raptures, raptured. The graves would be emptied, and the graveyard would look like plowed fields. The seas will give up their dead. It's a bodily resurrection wherever people have been. They will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. And you get this picture. Here comes the Lord. He comes back with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump and the dead in Christ. Those bodies shall be raised up. He's bringing believers with him. Their bodies will be raised up. And then we who are alive, who are left, who are still living, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so, this is the sweet part, we will always be with the Lord Now, the word rapture is not in our English text, uh, but rapture comes from the Latin word rapto, which means to catch up or to be caught up. It is an interpretation of the Greek word harpazo, which means to seize or to catch up or to snatch away. In Acts chapter 8, 39, this word is used as well. It was uh, in Acts chapter 8, you'll remember how God sent Philip to meet the Ethiopian eunuch. And there he, the Ethiopian unit was 
reading from the scroll of Isaiah and Philip gave meaning to his words and explained about Jesus and this man placed his faith in Christ and he saw a pool of water and said there's water what prevents me from being baptized and of course Philip said nothing and he he went and he baptized him in the water when they came up out of the water the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away and the eunuch saw him no more and he went on his way rejoicing that's the same word that's used here uh, harpazo, to be caught up, to be snatched away. When the Lord comes back for his people, it's going to be quick. We're going to be immediately not here, but there, caught up to meet him in the air. That word's used again in several places throughout the New Testament. I thought this was a good one. In Acts chapter 23, Paul had been accused by the Jews, and man, they were mad at him. They were really mad at him. And he was taken before the Roman tribunal who wanted to find out what the fuss was about and what was going on. While he was being questioned, the Jews accusing him kept getting angrier and angrier. And the Roman tribunal, the Roman tribune, the man who was in charge, uh, became concerned. In Acts 23.10, it says, When the dissension became violent, the tribune, afraid that Paul would be torn to pieces by the Jews who were accusing him, he commanded the soldiers to go down and to take him away. Same word, harpazo, to, to, to take him away, to rescue him by force and bring him into the barracks. So Paul is in danger, and they went down and they just grabbed him, they snatched him, they took him by force and removed him from danger. Listen to me, believers, there's a sweet promise. There's coming a day when in the midst of all that we live through and all that we face, in a world that has fallen, in the midst of a people that are fallen, there's coming a day when we'll see Jesus face to face. When he will come, and he will come bursting through the clouds. All of the imagery that the Bible gives us, he'll come bursting through the clouds, and he'll call us home, and the dead in Christ shall rise first, and those bodies will be rejoined. We will go and meet the Lord in the air. They expected that in their lifetime, and I tell you, we should expect it in ours. Jesus will come to take his bride home. The bodies of the dead will be resurrected. Those who live will be resurrected, and we'll meet him in the air. I was going to take time to go into what those bodies will be like and what we can expect, but I want us to stick very close to this text this morning. But I often get asked the question, or I have been asked the question, how in the world can you believe that fantastic tale? How in the world do you have any credibility that the Lord's going to come back and we're just going to disappear. I mean, I saw the movie. I read the popular fiction series. But surely that's make-believe, much like other movies that we see on the screen. Well, no. It's the word of the Lord. Paul gives his authority, and we certainly can trust in that. First, because of the work of Jesus. Paul says, since we believe, this is verse 14, since we believe that Jesus died and rose again I want you to know there's already been a resurrection there's already been an ascension and he's going to prepare a place and then he's going to come back and he's going to receive us unto himself and so there's this snatching away that's going to take place because of what Jesus has accomplished he is the firstborn he is the first raised from the dead he has accomplished this through his death on the cross but also because of Jesus' word, verse 15. This we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive and who are left until the coming of the Lord will not go before, will not precede those who are
who have fallen asleep. Now, I do want you to know something. This is for those who are in Christ. There is another resurrection that takes place later after the tribulation, that takes place later after the millennium, the thousand years of, of Christ's reign. There's a second resurrection, but that is a resurrection to destruction. This is for those who have been rescued from the wrath of God. And that's where we go next. I love this. It's a, not a general resurrection, but for those who are in Christ. It is a rescue it is being, again, reunited with Christ. Remember what he said back in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, this same letter, when we first got started, down toward the end of the chapter, verse 9 and 10, when he's praising them for what has happened in their midst. He says, they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. In verse 10, and... To wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. There is a day of wrath. There is a day of judgment. There is a day of destruction. And this catching up is a deliverance. But more than a rescue, it's also a reunion. He uses the word together. In verse 17, which we read, we'll be caught up together. Together with who? Together with the Lord, yes, but together with those who have gone before. These people were wondering about their dead in Christ. They were wondering about those who had died in Christ. Had, had they lost them forever? And Paul says, oh, no. Oh, no. We're going to be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air. Listen, there's a reunion that's coming. It's a rescue, no doubt, but it's a reunion that you're going to get to see and you will know those in Christ who are awaiting you, who have been in the presence of the Lord. There's an old song that I heard the Stamps Quartet sing a long, long time ago. And part of the chorus says, we'll sing and shout and dance about the Lamb will, will dry our tears. We'll have a grand homecoming week. That first 10,000 years, there's a time of reunion that's going to be taking place. But it's also a reception because here's the best part. You remember what Jesus told his disciples when he was getting ready to leave? When he was preparing them for his departure in John chapter 14, he tells them, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in, in me. In my father's house are many mansions or many dwelling places if it were not so, I would have told you, but I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'm going to come again and I will receive you unto myself. That where I am, there you may be also. Listen, it'll be good to be rescued. It's always good to be rescued from the wrath of God. It'll be good to be reunited with those who know the Lord Jesus Christ. But the best part is... There's going to be a wedding feast, a bridal reception, and we the church are his bride and the Lord Jesus himself is going to welcome us into his presence. We'll see him face to face. Listen, I want you to be ready. I want you to be ready. Because we're to encourage one another. We're to comfort one another. Isn't this a sweet promise? A sweet promise of rescue. A sweet promise of reunion. A sweet promise of reception. The Lord takes his children home. But what about those who aren't in Christ? What about the second coming when the Lord comes 
to establish his kingdom. Uh, what about the, the parousia, if you will, the end times? There's a, a note. I will tell you, I told you that as a child it was always good when my parents had been traveling. Dad would often go preach meetings or preach revivals. It was always great when Dad would, and Mom would come home because a lot of different reasons, but they always brought toys or they brought snacks or they brought good things. There was a, a reward that came because we didn't burn the house down or tear anything up. And so they're, they're always kind of glad to see us. And we were always thrilled to see them. But I will tell you that there were times when I didn't want to see Dad coming home. Again, I don't know how it was in your house, but uh, Mr. Hux, H-U-X, was the principal at Bogachetta Elementary School where I went to elementary school. He was also a deacon at Mokes Creek Baptist Church. And so if I ever got in trouble at school... The deacon reported to the pastor. And I could be assured that I was going to be in trouble when I got home. Have you ever had your mother say to you, just wait till your daddy gets home? No. Have you ever had, have you ever had your mom or your grandma say to you, just wait till I get you home? Same sort of thing. Sometimes looking forward to his return was great joy. Sometimes looking forward to his return was with fear and trembling. There's a warning. There's a warning. And I, I want you to recognize this because when you go through chapter 4, he is giving comfort to those who are in Christ. But when you go to chapter 5, and it's just the chapters came later, the next paragraph, the next topic, he gives a warning to those who are not ready. And so in chapter 5, he says now or but. There's a, there's a contrasting con conjunction there. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brother, and that, that means the epics, the ages, what's coming next. You don't need anyone to have written to you for you're fully aware of that day. You're fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Now, one thing about this day, while people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction comes upon them. As labor pains comes upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. Comes as a thief simply means that it comes suddenly. I did read several years ago about a man in Dallas. You probably have probably read it as well because I, I know a lot of preachers used it as a sermon illustration. I've used it before. I'll use it again. But there was a man in a very affluent suburb in Dallas, Texas, who one morning went out, started his car, realized that he had left some things in the house, left his car running in his driveway, and went back in the house. What do you think happened? thief came and took the car he came back out the car was gone he was reasonably so distraught he reported it to the police couldn't believe what, a, what what how irresponsible he had been his car was gone the police of course did not recover it that day but the next morning he walked outside and guess what his car was back in the driveway as a matter of fact, not only was it back in the driveway, the key was in the ignition. All of his keys were there, the house keys, the car keys, they were all right there. The car had been cleaned and washed and had a full tank of gas. And when he got in, he opened the door, there was an envelope on the driver's seat, and it said, I had to have a car. I'm sorry. I know it was wrong to steal. But here, hopefully this will smooth things over. The car's clean. The car's filled up. And here are two tickets to the Dallas Cowboys game Saturday. Sunday, whenever they play. Here, this weekend, here are two tickets to the Dallas Cowboys game. The guy thought, well, you know, it was a thief. Obviously, it was a thief, but maybe this guy's not so bad. Maybe it's just an emergency situation. 
And so he just wrote it off, and he was real excited because not being accustomed to going to the ball games, he thought this would be a great adventure. His wife and he went, and they spent all day at the ball game. Just a great, wonderful time. And then they drove up, and the front door was standing open, the garage door was open, and there wasn't a stick of furniture in the house. House had been completely cleaned out. I don't know about you, I just think that's hilarious. <laughs> this was a sneaky and clever thief. You saw what he had done. He had set him up when he knew that he'd be away, and he came back. He took him out. I will tell you that when he says like a thief in the night, he's talking about the unexpected He's talking about when you don't know, it's coming. No man knows the hour of the day of the rapture. No man knows the hour of the day when the Lord is going to come back to meet his saints in the air. No one knows the hour of the day when the Lord is going to come and meet the world in judgment. It's important, I think, that we recognize that this is a completely uh, different tone, a different experience from what we expect from the joyful reunion that we'll have. Concerning the times and seasons, you're aware. You're aware that the Lord comes like a thief in night. Here's what happened. In the world around them, people are saying there's peace and security, then sudden destruction comes upon them. As labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, they will not escape. But you're not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. You're children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of darkness, so let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. Those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. I think it's very important that we recognize this day of the Lord, this day of judgment, is sudden like a thief in the night. No one knows the hour of the day when the apostles saw Jesus ascend to heaven. They came together and they said, Lord, now is this a time for you to restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. Jesus himself in Matthew 24, which, by the way, is a parallel passage. I want you guys to read it as part of your deeper study. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father of only. It'll be a normal day. It'll be not only sudden, it'll be surprising. There's peace and security, people are saying. It'll be like in the days of Noah where people are marrying and giving in marriage. People are going to work. People are going about their regular life. It'll be like it was in the days of Lot when they were eating and drinking and buying and selling and planting and building. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So it'll be when the Son of Man is revealed. I want you to understand this is going to be a solemn day. It's going to be a day of destruction. And Peter gives us probably the clearest depiction of this day. He says, Some of, you got people out there saying the Lord's been promising to come back, but he ain't come yet. And so I think they're making it up. I don't think he's really coming. Peter reminds them, of course, in 2 Peter chapter 3, that the Lord always keeps his promises. Aren't you glad? The Lord always keeps his promises. But that the, the day he is delaying... And by the way, a day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is as a day. doesn't mean that God doesn't know what time it is. 
It means he's as faithful and as trustworthy as he has always been. And his promises will come true, not on our time schedule. He doesn't perceive time as in the, he's not limited to time in the manner that we are. He is above and beyond time. And God is faithful to keep his promises. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 10, the day of the Lord. Again, another description, the day of the Lord, the day of wrath, the day of judgment. Will come like a thief and then the heavens will pass away with a roar. And the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. And the earth and the works that are done upon it will be exposed. I want you to tell you, this is not a happy day. This is a day of judgment for unrepentant Israel. And a day of judgment for those who die embracing sin instead of Christ. Joel chapter 2 verses 1 and 2. Blow a trumpet in Zion. Sound an alarm on my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. It is a near, a, it is near, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness, like blackness. There is spread upon the mountains a great and powerful people. Their like has never been before, nor will be again after them through the years of all generations. It's a day of tribulation. It's a warning, not of something that might potentially happen, but of a certain future. Time of God's wrath unleashed against sin and rebellion. What a contrast. You get the contrast? The sweet reunion. The Lord's coming to take us home. The dire warning. He's taking home those who are in Christ, those who are yielded to him, those who know him and walk with him, those who are part of his family and his kingdom, his citizenship. But for those who are in rebellion against him and remain in rebellion against him, there is the promise of judgment and wrath against sin. And that takes us to the third part. What about those of us who are in Christ and remain until he comes again? We have clear instructions, clear instructions. We'll pick up in verse 4 really quick. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. You're children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night, nor of darkness. And there are three commands here. I want us to just throw them out there. The first is wake up. Wake up. I don't know if John Ramirez remembers this or not, but David Penland told me one time that he had gone on a mission trip. And one of the places, I think it was Virginia or West Virginia, somewhere up there, but they didn't have housing accommodations, and they had to sleep on the pews in the church. And Dave asked, Dave Finland asked John Ramirez as a little boy, he said, have you ever slept in church before? And John said, not at night. <laughs> I, I think that's great. I have often, <laughs> John, do you remember that? Or, okay, all right. I, I, I'll, I'll never forget Dave tell, telling it to me. Uh, but, you know, as a child, many times I would stretch out on the pew during the service as Dad preached in sleep um, and have been there, made, made that, had that experience many times. And again, I have been accused of having two major spiritual gifts, that of making people mad and that of putting people to sleep. And I'll claim them. But there's a danger here. There's a warning. We can become so complacent with day in and day out living that we somehow lose the awareness that God has placed eternity in our hearts that there's this expectation of his soon return 
that you will remember, and one of the things I'm asking you to read as you go further in this study is this, the parable of the ten virgins awaiting the bridegroom for the wedding feast. You guys remember that? You can look it up as we go into this. We can become so acclimated to day after day living to the, to the practices, the habits, the routines of life that in a real sense, spiritually, we just kind of doze and we rest. Hebrews chapter 3 calls it drifting. We just drift. We just float. We just float. And the call here is to wake up. It is to be invigorated. It is to open your eyes. It is to engage your mind. It is to wake up. Let us not sleep, brothers, as others do. Let us keep awake and be sober, alert. Those who sleep, sleep at night. Those who get drunk are drunk at night. What have we been talking about? We've been talking about making disciples. Eight weeks we've been studying what it means to make disciples and how we can actually do it. And making disciples starts with those who are not disciples. It starts with the proclamation of the gospel, with loving people, by telling them the truth, by introducing them to the Lord Jesus Christ. And then when they come to Christ, by investing in them, that they also make disciples, that we grow, we become mature, complete Fully dressed in the Lord Jesus Christ. We not only wake up, we get engaged about this task. We dress up. Since we belong to the day, verse 8, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love. And for a helmet, the hope of salvation. Listen, how are we to be living in these days? First of all, guard your heart. It's what a breastplate does. Guard your heart, pursue your faith, deepen your faith in the day-to-day walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. Your faith in Him, deepen your love, work on your love. It is a decision, it is a commitment, it is a continual status of being yielded and putting Christ first and putting the Lord first and then looking around and loving one another, loving one another fully and completely as God intends that we care for one another. And then not only do we put on the breastplate, you get dressed, but you put on the helmet. You want to protect your head. And he calls the helmet the hope of salvation. Get this. He's not saying, well, I hope I'm saved. No. This hope is a certainty, a real certainty. He says, be sure that you know. Know you are saved by grace through faith. It is a reality. This coming judgment is a reality soon to be experienced. Make sure that you know that you know. So you wake up, you dress up, but then you look up. Listen, he says God has not destined us for wrath. He saved us from wrath. We have obtained salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. I love the passage of Scripture where it says, Look up, look up, your redemption draweth nigh. You see, this isn't supposed to be scary to those of us who are in Christ. It is a dire warning of a real and certain future, but it should be a source of comfort for us. Number one, it should motivate us as we wake up, as we dress up, as we engage in the task that God's given to us. But as we look up with expectation, we get to be used by Him so that others... Why, why by the way, in 2 Peter chapter 3, does, does Peter explain the delay? Why didn't the Lord come back yet? He makes it abundantly clear. I think it's verse 8 or verse 9 where he says uh, the Lord is postponing his return. He is lengthening the time of his return because he doesn't want anyone to perish, but that all should be saved. Because when he comes, he's coming with a white, hot fire of judgment. 
And he wants us to be snatched from the plane, to be saved from the judgment that is to come. Now, for those of us who are, it is peace for us. It is joyous for us. Not the destruction that is coming, but the fact that we have been rescued. When these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads. Your redemption draws nigh, Luke 21. Yes, we're going to be reunited with those who have gone before. And yes, there will be a reception when we're received by Jesus himself as his bride. In the meantime, we encourage one another and we build one another up just as we have been doing. May we do so even more fully and more completely. So the Lord's coming back. Is that good news? For those of us in Christ, you would say with me, even so, Lord Jesus, come soon. We'll be rescued from wrath. Even the expression of wrath in a cursed world. We'll be in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ and we'll be there with those who have gone before. Certainly reunion and reception. But there are also a day of judgment. Now we get to escape this day of judgment. There are seven judgments in the Bible. This is the judgment that's coming at the tribulation, the judgment against sin on the earth. Now, we get to escape this judgment, but there are many who will not. And we get the privilege of warning, motivated by love, and by God's glory and His desire to save, by sharing the good news of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's good news. And it is needed news in our world today. It's one of the things that we do with the Operation Christmas Child Boxes. It's one of the things that we do through uh, the GPS Children's Ministries and Weekday Ministries. It's one of the things that we do through our Sunday school classes and through our worship services and our broadcasts that go out. It's one of the things that we do even when we had, I don't know how many hundred people, hundreds of people out here at, at Trunk or Treat uh, last Sunday night. People walking through. We got to share with them the written gospel on tracks. And many of you had gospel conversations and invitational conversations with people who are able to come it's why we're here we exist to glorify God we exist to make disciples that's why we live that's why God's left us here isn't God good now and I'm going to go ahead and close but as I close I just want to kind of encourage you to wake up to dress up and to look up our redemption draws nigh. Father, thank you for the truth of your word. May we never be lax. May we never be slack. Yes, Jesus lived and was crucified. Yes, he rose again. And yes, he's coming again. Help us to embrace this great truth, to rest in it, to know it, to be confident in it, and to live expectantly. Help us to not drift and to not float, but help us to be fully engaged in the task that you've called us to do for your glory. In your name I pray. Amen.